0: I think some of our favorite reports are in the pharmaceutical sector. Yeah. That's because, in part, the controversies surrounding the pharmaceutical sector, notwithstanding, they have a very clear social role in, in, in what they do, and that lends itself to, to integrated reporting. The Cohen Report, a no-holds-barred review of what's hot and what's not in Integrated Reporting, the world's only integrated reporting podcast, with your hosts, Neil and Simon.
1: Here we are, episode number two of the IR101 podcast. I'm Neil, and with my colleague Simon, we represent Quan. Simon, how are you today? You know I'm very well. Bad weather in France at the moment, but not too bad. Thank you. <laughs> All things considered. This is uh, episode two of uh, a mini-series that we've put together on Integrated Reporting 101 and today we're going to look a little bit at the at the framework and where should a, a company begin when it comes to integrated reporting. In the previous episode we looked at what is integrated reporting and what exactly does it mean for, for companies. So... Who's this for? I think uh, this podcast is good for report preparers or or even students, those that are getting started in integrated reporting and those that are ready to to make the step. Maybe they've been looking at it and they're wanting a little bit more information. So the goal of this is just a a mini series to introduce people to integrated reporting and some of the challenges that come with it. So on that, I've got three topics. Uh, I I thought it would be good to start with the framework and the integrated reporting follows a framework and who's behind it. So I thought it'd be good to start there. So there is an organisation behind integrated reporting. It's the, the IIRC, which stands for the International Integrated Reporting Council. Now this was put together I think almost 10 years ago because it's a not- for-profit based in the UK in London. We were part of the, the pilot phases which, which was about 10 years ago I remember putting uh, when they were putting the framework together and that is what oversees or what, what lies behind integrated reporting as a framework and I thought it'd be good to not to go in detail through the framework because it's quite extensive but to talk about the basics of it um, and, and I think one of the main observations i have is that it's it's a principles based framework and by principles based so i think what, what we mean well it's very very simple is based on, on some principles whereas you have other frameworks like the GRI for example which is very prescriptive it, it gives rules and says you know you must do this you must do that and it, and it digs into indicators and kpis the integrated reporting or the ir framework is not that it's more guidance and and principles based gives you a little bit more flexibility. Simon, you're obviously involved in writing a lot of these reports with the work that we do. What's mm-hmm. your sort of feeling? You've written both GRI reports and you've written integrated reports that are be- or, or reports that are based on the, the IR framework. What's your sort of observations on that?
0: Well, I think, I think as a writer, you, 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 prefer, you tend to prefer a principles-based report because, as you said, it's, it's less prescriptive. I get the feeling that a lot of companies prefer the prescriptive element because reporting then becomes much clearer. So if you take something like the GRI framework, or actually any number of the financial reporting frameworks that, that companies use, there's a very clear idea of exactly what you need to report on, what KPIs, what indicators, what metrics you need to collect and to, and to report. So there's much more handholding involved, and I think uh, companies very naturally tend to tend to prefer that. I think you know, from our point of view, a principles-based approach. Has a lot of advantages and one one drawback. I, I suppose the advantages are really that because it's principled, you can tailor it to your to, to the particular company in question, and you can tailor it to the sector. So you should, if you do your reporting well, you should get a very clear idea of that company and what it does and its strategy and its performance and its its operating environment and, and so on. And so your your hands aren't tied by the more prescriptive framework. The drawback, I think, is that because of that the reports become less comparable between companies in a similar sector. So it's perfectly possible if you take two companies in the pharmaceutical sector, they will take two radically different approaches to reporting under a principles-based framework. So you lose something in the comparability, I think.
1: And there is some very, just, just on that note, there's some very good integrated reports in the pharmaceutical sector. We're, we're probably going to dig into that mm-hmm. um, sector at some point later in, in the series of podcasts, but Nova Nordisk is one that comes to mind.
0: Yeah, I think some of our favorite reports are in the pharmaceutical sector. And I think that's, <laughs> yeah. that, that's because in part the controversies surrounding the pharmaceutical sector, notwithstanding, they have a very clear social role in in, in what they do and that lends itself to, to integrated reporting. So I think a principles-based approach, it demands a little. bit more of you as a reporter. You need to be a little bit more imaginative, you need to think through some of the impacts that you have on your stakeholders and on society a little bit more uh, carefully. Uh, so it's not just a question of going down a list of indicators and, and ticking the boxes. Now, I mean, to be fair to the GRI, they would claim that that isn't the way you should be using their framework either. It is more prescriptive.
1: I think it's a fair point, and having been involved, we both worked in corporations prior to doing what we do now, and having been involved with it, the GRI is very simple to follow because yep. it handholding. hand-holding, it is a list, it is a set of rules and inverted quotes that tells you what you need to do. You can yep. literally go through that and say, right, have we done how we've
0: yeah, and of course, you gain in comparability then. So, if you take two, three, four companies from the same sector, yep. uh, the results. Are, are much more comparable because chances are they're using the same metrics and they're using the same the same style of reporting.
1: I think also, as you mentioned on the flip side, if you take a principles-based approach, i.e. you you use the, the IR framework, it does give you that flexibility. And-
0: the real danger, I mean, you can choose between a more prescriptive approach, which, which has its advantages and its disadvantages, or you can choose a principles-based approach, which again has its advantages and disadvantages. One thing I think we see in some of the companies that we've worked with is, is actually companies themselves or people within companies or, or, or auditors actually applying a sort of prescriptive approach to a principles-based system. For example, the IRC, it's a principles-based approach, but you very often see people get a little bit caught in the weeds of the details the saying, right, we, we must have this in, we must have that in, it must be called this, we must use that word, because that's what it says in black and white in, in the framework. And the framework there, if it's a principles-based system, is ultimately meant to guide you. So the point is to tell your story about how you create value or you don't create value. It's not to be too slavish about the framework itself. And I think we do see occasionally in some of the companies that we work with, people are a little bit too focused on the black and white and you tend to get an awful lot of detail. And the result is that the report or sections of the report become very technical and it becomes very Inside baseball, you know, you need to be an integrated report practitioner to really recognize what the conversation is about, um, which really shouldn't be the case. The report is there for your stakeholders to read and to get a clear understanding of where you are as a company and your strategy and your performance and so on. They don't care quite so much about the, the mechanics of how you put that together and the minutiae of the framework. Um, I, I think that's, that's a danger in some cases.
1: I think that's a very good point. And I do wonder where it comes from. Does it come from just the nature of the the work that these companies do? Or does it come from the legacy of GRI or IFRS, for example, in financial reporting? Maybe it's a casualty of having these prescriptive frameworks and, and then the auditor as well they come from a position where they're always looking for something black and white to audit against. So it's actually a really good point to make. And it's something I think that is good to hear in the beginning when you start your journey and try to come back to it, try to ask yourself that question once you get into these conversations throughout the process.
0: I tend to agree with you. I mean, I think it springs from that culture and that culture is is made up of, I mean, it's made up of several elements, isn't it? It's, it's the decades we've had of financial reporting, which is is by its nature, very prescriptive. It's the influence of the frameworks that we r- originally used for for CSR or sustainability reporting. It's also part of corporate culture as well. I think there's a definite feeling among some companies that, you know, if we don't have to report it, we don't report it. And actually, once you're thrown into an integrated reporting framework that says, actually, you know, here's a, it's a principles-based system, you must go through this process and tell us what is important. That idea that, well, we won't report it if people don't tell us to report it just goes out of the window. I mean, you have to, there's more responsibility in a principles-based approach. And I think, I mean, that can be quite, that can be quite scary because you, you don't have clear boundaries. You don't have clear parameters. Yeah. Good point leads me on actually to another question that I
1: wanted to cover, and that is where should a company begin if they want to, to to do integrated reporting? And that's where I think the framework actually is flexible and lends itself that you can start small. You don't have to go sort of big bang and, and say, right, we are going to do an integrated report and we are going to meet every principle every uh, content element, et cetera, you know, of, of the framework, you can start with elements of it and build that. And we have many clients who start with, with some of the items like a value creation model or a business model, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's one of the, the good things, one of the bad things, but it allows you to to start small as well.
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, I think you can build up an integrated report. Actually, I think it's inevitable that you will build up an integrated report because even if you try and go for the big bang solution, the chances are you'll get part of it right and part of it wrong the first year, and then the next year you'll make you'll make an improvement, and and so on. So I think it's something that you probably um, you grow into uh, as a as an organisation because it actually requires you to think very differently about your performance as an organisation. So you're really doing some some mental. Uh, acrobatics in many ways, because you've always thought about the company as a way of generating profit and um, making returns to, to to shareholders. Now you've got to start thinking about, well, you know, what is actually the impact we have on society? How do we impact the people in our supply chain? How do we affect um, you know local communities and, and so on? So it's actually a very, very different way of thinking. That takes some years, A, for you collectively, organizationally to get your head around that, that concept. And I think secondly, a lot of the decision-making structures and the processes and systems inside companies have obviously historically been geared towards that first system. And, and you need to make a change to get towards a more integrated approach and, and that inevitably take time. So I think this is, I'm just going on a side sideline or sort of sidetracking here, but it's
1: something worth talking about. Do you think a company that has been wedded very much to the GRI can also still align to the GRI whilst doing an integrated
0: report? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think there are... You've also got to have a healthy dose of common sense when you apply some of these frameworks. So we tend to say the GRI is very prescriptive, but it's also sort of pointing you in the right direction. It also talks about things like materiality, which is, is key to integrated reporting. That there is an overlap between the two. It's not quite so black and white as people tend to tend to imagine. So, I um, mean, I think there's definitely a way. And we've, we've also, we've worked for companies that have, have sort of matured beyond one single approach to take a more integrated approach. And I think that's something you, you, you definitely can do. I mean, the, the important part of this process, of course, is not the reporting. It's the, it's the process to get to the reporting. It's the, you know, it, it's, it's coming up with the metrics. It's embedding the metrics in your companies. It's, it's thinking about, well, you know, what is our role as a company in, in society and uh, trying to think beyond just the, making returns to uh, to shareholders so where where do you think is a good
1: point to begin if you're a, if you're a company and you're thinking about doing an integrated report and you said you know what 2021 is my year we're going to make the jump and we're going to try and align to this to this framework where do you think is a good point for a company to begin It's a million dollar question, I understand, but
0: it's a question that we get quite a lot. I mean, I think in technical terms, you've probably already got an element of integrated reporting, either in your sustainability report, because that obviously looks at or should look at your social and environmental uh, impact it's also possibly if you're a european company anyway and you fall under the um eu directive on non-financial reporting you've probably in your annual report now uh, got a section which is which which um complies with the with the provisions of that of that directive on on non-financial reporting so actually you've probably got most of the elements that you need to make your your report more integrated i think it's it's a little bit more difficult if you try to do something more radical, which is to go from a conventional annual report to a a fully integrated report. But I think, you know, with any process like this and all the stages of that process, you have to have support internally. I think one of the big mistakes that people make is to imagine that you can sort of drive this from one department where you have some enthusiasts who really want this to to be done. And you end up, um, even if you make some advances, even if you manage to uh, even if you manage to get an integrated report out, it's not doing all the good that it could do because you're not taking an integrated approach to managing the company. And so I think actually getting the support of your main departments and getting them to think through uh, what an integrated report might look like and what kind of elements you need, uh, what kind of metrics, what kind of content. I think that is a very good first start and you need at least sufficient backing, I think, from your from your main Corporate departments before you start thinking, right? How do I put this together?
1: Yeah. So to play sort of uh, devil devil's advocate in a way, what if you have a company who does have a very enthusiastic individual and they might sit within sustainability or something? Um, I, I would argue that they could start pushing integrated reporting and 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 trying to to get the company to do an integrated report and build support up along the way. Mm-hmm. Do you think that is a, a method? That is a a way that. A company could go.
0: Yeah, I I mean, I think that's definitely the way, and that's that's the way most companies, in our experience, have 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 gone. That there tend to be just a few people who are very enthusiastic about it, who really drive the process. Um, But what I'm saying is that for the process to work, you need to have the support of other other departments. I, I would say you need to start building that support up very early in the process. I mean, it will take some time and support often comes, you know, two or three, four years down the line. But you need, I think you need to start involving those departments and explaining uh, what the advantages are of integrated reporting and why you're doing this right from the very beginning. So even if you have a process that's being driven by someone who's very enthusiastic in communications or sustainability, in the end, as time goes on, you have a process that actually is inclusive and includes, uh, includes all the people from finance and from legal and from investor relations and so on, because their support ultimately will ensure the success of your, of your integrated report. In that respect, I think it's slightly different from a sustainability report because that can exist almost on its own. So it shouldn't exist on its own, but it can exist, I think, on its own where it's driven by a particularly enthusiastic sustainability department, where it's integrated reporting, if it's to be successful, really has to involve all of these other uh, departments as well.
1: Yeah. Okay, kind of answers my last question that I had, which was really who should be involved in an integrated report. But um, let's take it another way. So y- you start integrated reporting, you have a passionate or an, enthousi- an enthusiastic individual, and, and they they start the process. But they start to bring some other people along. Who would be a, where would be a good place for someone to start? If they're, let's say, someone is sitting in a sustainability department just now, they do a sustainability report. They want to do an integrated report. They have some traction within the department department, where should they look to next? Should they look to investor relations? Should they look to communications? I guess it it probably depends on the company, but what's your mm-hmm.
0: thoughts on that and, and a good place yeah. for them to start to have those conversations? It depends on the company and, and exactly how uh, how you're organized. But I, I think if you're going to do an integrated report which targets investors, so providers of financial capital, which was the original IRC framework, I think then investor relations is not a bad place to start. Communications as well, because ultimately it's a communications document. So if you want to take, for example, a wider view of the audience and you want to say, right, we want to document here which explains our strategy and performance to all of our stakeholders then I think communications is a big part of this and actually finance or at least the department that uh, collects your performance data that also has to be a big part of this because one area you'll need to address fairly soon in the process is what kind of things do we need to measure for an integrated report how does that differ from what we measure already and how do we get those measurements up to a standard where we can include them in an integrated report, whether it's audited or, or not? And also, how do we get those metrics into our decision-making system, so into our remuneration, into our into our, our strategy uh, rollout, and, and and things like that? Because that ultimately is what you are looking to do: is take a more integrated approach to to managing the company. The report, in many ways, is an offshoot of that. So. Fairly early in the process, you're going to need to involve those people who can decide about performance data. And that depends on the company. It's often finance, it's often devolved to country units or operating units. But I think those people are are an important part of of the process.
1: Yeah. I think one thing just to talk about, and we're going to to leave it at that, we're trying to keep it very high level and, and short, this small mini series, but you touched on something there about external assurance on audit. This is something that we've been involved in quite a bit. And Mm. most companies that are considering uh, an integrated report are likely a a listed company. They likely have auditors that that have to be involved and they they may have auditors that work on their non-financial reporting, i.e. their sustainability report. And that's a very good discussion point because we have clients that are aligned to the IR framework and they actually get their external assurance based on that framework. We have clients that are working with auditors that are auditing more traditional reports, usually based on, on the GRI framework. With that in mind and talking about people that you have to engage with, I would say that one of the conversations you want to have early on as well is with your external auditor because that can pose some challenges, again, depending on your auditor and how they look at integrated reporting. But do you have any thoughts on that and on the assurance process?
0: I, I mean, I would argue your first step is actually to talk to your internal auditor. I mean, especially if you're if you're starting from scratch because there's no obligation to go to external assurance from year one. I think external assurance, so it has a number of advantages and I suppose the most obvious one is that it acts as a discipline. So it really helps you improve your performance. It helps you tighten up your data collection and so on. But you've got to get yourself to the starting gate. So you've got to have uh, a very clear idea of the metrics that you want to report. You've got to have a very clear idea of how you're going to define those, how you're going to collect them, what the scope is going to be, and so on. And I think there's a first step there possibly before you involve external audit directly. Um, and that that's done often with, with your finance department or it's done with your internal audit department to get yourself up to that that starting gate. Because um, an external audit lends credibility to your reporting. It's a fantastic discipline, but it also requires resources. So it's, it's, it's time consuming. And I think in many ways, some companies attempted to take that jump into external assurance before they're really ready. So you want to make sure you've got the metrics and the processes and the, all the data collection is robust enough to withstand that process of, of external assurance before you go for it. Yeah, I think a very good point. And what I wasn't clear about
1: really was I was I was sort of coming from the point that they may already have uh, assurance on their sustainability report. But I think you make a very good point. If you do not have assurance, then yes, probably it shouldn't be your first conversation as well. We have to get assured because it has to fit the objectives of the report and the objectives of, of the company and, and you make that point.
0: I mean the chances are these days you've got an ex- you, you've got an external auditor. If not for your sustainability report, then for your annual report, which again, if you're in Europe, contains A lot of non-financial elements so you've possibly already got some external assurance on your on your non-financial data so then it's a question really of having that conversation as you said with the external auditor and saying okay we want to expand this we want this is what we want to include you know what would you expect what kind of standard to you uh are you looking at to get us to to the point where we can be we can have uh you know reasonable assurance or even limited assurance
1: yeah, I think that's uh, that's a good point, and uh, I think we could have a whole episode on audit itself, and we'll maybe do that in future with some of the the some of the auditors that we work with. But I think on that, we can leave it there. We've kept it, as I said earlier, high level and and short just so people can tap into these podcasts and hopefully get some quick knowledge out of it. But what we're hoping to do is come back in the next episode and talk a little bit more about the challenges of putting together an integrated report. And that can be anything from, you know, how do you define metrics, something that you mentioned earlier through to how do you lay it out and how should it look? And, you know, should it be designed? And can it just be a piece of, you know, text? And we can talk a little bit about that. Also some other podcasts that we have in our series is a deconstructed series where we look through reports and sort of see, talk about the good points and the improvement points. So you can find more on those in our in our podcast feed. And if anyone wants to get in touch with us, they can find us at com. So on that, we will say bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye. If you love The Cohen Report, hit subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget, you can find notes and materials discussed on the show at thecohenreport.com or follow us on Instagram at The Cohen Report. The Cohen Report. How will you report next
1: year?